Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Today we're kicking off a festive holiday month of bonbons and bars. If you're nervous about candy making, don't be afraid. We're starting off your baking season with an easy treat, Blizzard Blondies. We'll also pop into the Gadget Garage to talk about our latest kitchen tools and give you an update on our annual Christmas cookie baking plans. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, the UK is experiencing an Arctic blast this week. Oh, no. So it really feels like wintertime is coming. Yes, we are getting, I guess the, the latest report I read said that the UK this week will be colder than Iceland. Oh, we my gosh. Are, we are chilly. And you know what? It feels so perfect for this time of year and being cozy in the kitchen. But it is cold out there. It's negative Three or four, which, you know, gosh, that's Celsius. I'm still so poor on my Celsius Fahrenheit conversion. But needless to say, it's freezing temperatures all across. Oh, my gosh. So does London typically get snow in December? Will that happen? It will be more rare for the city itself to get it. Maybe like a light dusting, but definitely outside of the city toward the west and the coastal areas, they are likely to see some more snow, especially, you know, obviously the north too. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's definitely a possibility. But now I think it's, you know, it's that temperature where it's too cold to snow. There's no moisture in the air. It's just there's static right. everywhere, and it's it's very, very cold. So, Well, you're welcome to borrow any of the moisture from the Pacific Northwest. We've got bucket loads as usual. <laughs> so I hear. I know. It's wild weather for sure but a great time to be indoors and one thing I'm really enjoying right now Nigella Lawson one of my favorite British bakers and cooks has a new series on BBC2 and it's called At My Table and it goes along with her new cookbook of the same name Ooh. but what I'm really excited about is that for the first time since 2008 Nigella is doing a Christmas special so that's coming oh. up I love her Christmas specials if you don't um, have any of her cookbooks, they are they're really fun just to read. Not not only are there some great and tasty recipes, but they're just she's just a great writer and she just has a funny and very welcoming way of writing. And her Christmas cookbook is actually called Nigella's Christmas. It's a great book just to read. I find it really enjoyable mm -hmm. that way. So I'm really looking forward to that. How exciting. Other thing I'm doing is we have at my daughter's campus, my children go to an international school here in London, and one of the big event nights is called International Night. So people come, they have booths from all of the countries that are represented, and I, I think we have like more than 60 countries at our school. It's really diverse. Oh, wow. And so yeah. I'm helping out with the International um, Night and the American table, the USA table. So I have offered to bring apple slab pies. And I think we've talked about slab pies in the past. It's uh, like a pie, but baked in a cookie sheet. You're, you've done these too, right? Yes. So 
Yes. I thought mm-hmm. of you I and have. your big batch baking. But here is my question to you as a as a big batch baker. I think that we are going to have about 300 people. Oh. Now, I will not be the only dessert. So how many okay. do you typically get from a cookie sheet? But then the reminder to that question is that my cookie sheets are a little bit smaller because I'm in my smaller oven. You know, do you think I can get away with cutting them in kind of bars and then into triangles from there? I'm just, I'm a little bit unsure about quantity here. What do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, What's your crust like? Are you going to do a crumb crust or a lattice crust or a full-on crust? My thought was to do a full-on crust, but in the interest of time, you're right, a crumble crust might be might be wiser. Yeah, I I've never done a full-on crust on a slab pie. I think I'm I think I would worry that it might be um I don't know, too heavy or okay. I, I I just haven't done that. Okay. But with a crumble crust um and one of the reasons I love doing a slab pie is I think it's really easy to modify how big the squares are. With the lattice, it can be a little bit trickier because if you make the squares a lot smaller, some pieces might not get any top crust mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, depending on how thick your lattices are and how much space there is in between where they cross over. Mm-hmm. So, especially with an apple pie, I think a, a crumble crust is really fun. And my pans that I've made slab pies in are those, um, I call them a jelly roll pan. Yes. So I think that's 13 by 18. Yes. And I would say, hmm, I would say you probably get a solid 36, you know, a six by six um, for a, a decent sized piece. And that by, by which you mean kind of like a square piece. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not, it's like a square piece. Um, mm-hmm. It's not going to be perfectly square because of course you're, you know, it's coming from the rectangle shaped pan and I don't know about you, but I can't cut a perfectly square thing to save my life anyway. Yes. But. <laughs> Um, it's another issue. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. So then maybe if I'm getting three dozen from each pan, thereabouts, that's a lot of slab pies to feed 300 people. Now, you know, there will be those people at this event who won't want dessert. And um, so that narrows that down to, what, 298 people? I don't know. So... <laughs> Well, my my assumption would be, like, if I'm going to an event that has, you said, how many booths? 60 booths? Yeah, it potentially could um, be. I mean, I, don't, I mean, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's just not possible to eat one thing from every booth. So, you know, I would think, okay, yeah, there's 300 people in attendance, but you're not baking for 300 you're baking for maybe a third of that 40 50 okay 60? okay so oh maybe- gosh I, I wouldn't even go that okay high. I mean that that's just me okay okay um you know I think the closest thing I can think to that that I've participated in was um my husband and daughter and I one weekend did the big green egg festival mm-hmm. in Renton Washington yeah. and we made mussels and we made um I think some stuffed jalapenos, but then I did a bread pudding on the big green egg. Oh, and you know what? And the big green egg is a barbecue. You should maybe yes, oh a type yes, of I should probably explain yes. what it is. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a it it is a charcoal smoker, a ceramic smoker, um, and it's actually a very ancient technology. But and there's there's different brands, but the one we have is big green egg. And so um, when I made so there were probably two hundred fifty to three hundred pe- people in attendance at that, and I made two big sort of nine by 13 kind of lasagna pan sizes of that bread pudding and you know we just cut them up into small squares we put them in the little um sort of uh, 
checkerboard, red and white oh, yeah. food service yeah. holders, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yes. And yeah, because that was kind of cute. And, um, you know, we put those out. I would say I ended up with maybe around 60. And, you know, certainly there were maybe some people who came by later and said, oh, I heard you had bread pudding. And I was like, oh, sorry, it's gone. But, you know, that's just how those things work. I, I, I mean, yeah, and I just can't imagine they would expect to actually have one serving for every person in attendance. Okay, yeah. And there will be other desserts at, at my table also. And then you're right. Like, people will just be – it's kind of like a um, – I don't know, like a food festival or something. You kind of go and get a little taste from everything. Yes, But yes. it's a good reminder that people aren't expecting to, like, just come to my booth and, and fulfill all of their right. dessert needs. And, Although, and I also you know. think they're expecting yeah. more of a bite, not a serving, okay. um, which might okay. be a little trickier with a slab pie just because you do want it to, you know, have some integrity when you cut it. So you don't want to make it so small that it's not even recognizable as a pie. But Okay, okay. I knew I was, I was you know, asking the right gal. So thank you for this. And I will give an update later on about International Night. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I can't wait to hear about that. That sounds so good. Turning our thoughts over to um, our month of December, this is our month of bonbons and bars, and we picked this theme to sort of um, complement each other with the idea that making candies and bonbons can be intimidating and difficult, but making bar cookies can be (laughs) really easy. Um, So, Stefan, are you a fan of a bar cookie? I love a bar cookie. I mean, it's almost nothing better. You get a huge quantity with usually fairly minimal effort. Yes. And it's nothing better. I think especially at holiday time, it's a very, very busy time. You know, often you are going to some kind of event with multiple people and... So I I love this idea. When you broached it, I thought that's perfect for this time of year. Yeah. Well, I love bars. As you know, I love, um, you know, one bowl recipes. I love things that are easy and come together quickly. And um, I don't know if you remember this, but last year, it was in December, I had a last-minute request to bring something holiday festive to an event. And I panicked and I texted you and said, quick, I need a holiday festive event that I can whip together quickly. Right. And you're the one who sent me this recipe. Um, So it's called Blizzard Blondies, and they are cranberry, pistachio, and white chocolate blondies. It comes from a Red Book magazine. So first of all, I just wanted to say, um, do you know what a blondie is, and how are they different from a brownie? Well, I guess the most obvious thing I see is that the brownie has a chocolate component, uh, a cocoa chocolate mm-hmm. component, and a blondie would be more of just like your vanilla, uh, vanilla-flavored, butter, vanilla, egg yep. base. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yep, <laughs> okay. That's exactly Yay. it. So, yep, both blondies and brownies are technically classified as, you know, cookie bars, um, and that's the other piece of this, sort of that bar cookie, you know, what makes a bar cookie a bar cookie. For me, it's that it's in that mm-hmm. lasagna mm-hmm. pan and that you cut mm-hmm. it into squares as opposed to the little, you know, individual dropped or rolled cookies. Um, Texture-wise, they're usually softer than cookies, but definitely tougher than a cake. And yes, brownies have the cocoa component, whereas blondies traditionally are considered the opposite of brownies because they are vanilla-based instead of cocoa-based. So 
I mean, vanilla is not really the opposite of chocolate, but usually you, you pick one or the other. So I'm a huge blondie fan. And this recipe has a, a lot of vanilla. It has one whole tablespoon of good vanilla extract. So you're going to get that flavor through very strongly. They're also just so pretty and seasonal because, as Andrea mentioned, they have the um, pistachios for the green, the cranberries for the red, and the white chocolate chips for the white. So they're really pretty as well. Yeah. So we will post a link to this recipe on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, also on our Pinterest and our Facebook pages. And we hope that you will bake along with us and try out our Blizzard Blondies. They're a great thing to bring to a potluck or um, if you do want to cut them up and put them in little individual bags, that works really well too. So I think these are something that'd be fun for your family and will come together really quickly. And you can also give them away fairly easily. And if I could just have one tip, having the voice of experience here, if you want to go ahead and splurge on shelled pistachios, uh, this is a good place to do it. Shelling that many pistachios is pretty tedious. So just in your bulk bin, sometimes you can find them just shelled. They are more because someone's done that work for you, but it's it's, uh, worth it because I think this takes uh, more than a cup of shelled pistachios. So just something to think about. Yeah, that is a really good point. It is um, one and a quarter cup, so you're right. This might be the time to splurge. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) Moving on to the Gadget Garage. This is one of the places we love to visit and talk about the implements in our kitchen that are making a difference in our cooking life or delighting us in some way. And I wanted to talk about my flat whisk. So I came across this flat whisk when Hmm. um, listener Jeannie taught me how to make her toffee. And stay tuned for that. We will be approaching that in the month of December. But one thing she told me right up front is she said, this implement is essential for making my toffee. And I said, what is it? And she goes, I don't know. My, <laughs> my mom always used it, and I've always used it, and I, you can't make this toffee without it. So I took a picture of it, and I then tried searching on the internet for it. And I, you know, it's funny how hard it is to search for something when you don't know what it's yes. called. Yes, So, you know, I was searching for things like, cooking implement looks like martini shaker it just and I wasn't turning turning anything up and then I decided oh I know I'll ask our super smart preheated listeners who always seem to know this kind of thing and I posted it on our Facebook group and I was shocked by how quickly people were throwing in oh that's a flat whisk. Yeah. And they knew exactly what it was. Right? They were talking about how they've used it. I mean, it just it just blew me away. The experience these people had with this implement that I did not even know existed. Right, right, right. Um, that is a, a nice testament to our Facebook community as well, that when we do ask questions or yeah. our listeners ask questions, there's just a really nice give and take going on. So that's, um, yeah. that's really nice to see. Yeah. Absolutely. So had you ever used a flat whisk before? I I now have purchased one and I have um, plans to use it for my toffee, but I still don't know what else people would use it for on a regular basis. I haven't. And as I understand it, it is it is to really kind of scrape the bottom of a pan when you don't want something mm-hmm. to burn. Is that is that yep. the yep. the thing? So the closest thing I have to that is a wooden we call it a spatula. I don't think that's the name. It's definitely not what I would call a whisk, though. It's just a very flat-edged wooden 
I mean, it's not a spoon. Like, I don't what? Yeah, exactly. I need to post a picture to Again, Facebook. Again, trying to describe. Yeah, but, you'll just have to post a picture. Yes, but that's what I use it for because it has that flat, kind of straight, yeah. um, almost like a shovel, like a snow shovel. That's... <laughs> But in wooden form. <laughs> and that's what I would use to like scrape the bottom of something that I mm-hmm. really don't want to burn, want to really get off the bottom of the of the pan. So that's the closest implement that I have. But I have not used a flat whisk per se. Well, and I just wanted to bring this up ahead of time before we get to our bake-along week with our toffee so that if someone does want to try and make that toffee and they don't have a flat whisk, they can start keeping their eye out for one or for this uh, apparent snow shovel <laughs> instrument <laughs> that you the use. The mini wooden snow shovel. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um how about your gadget garage? You got anything fun or exciting going on in there? Well, I don't have anything new necessarily, but I was really struck again by our Facebook community. We were talking uh, about cupcakes during our birthday month last month, and the birthday cupcakes you and I both chose called for a gadget that neither one of us had called a cupcake Corer, and it got me thinking about kind of one-off gadgets that are essential when you need them and then literally sit there for the rest of the year when you don't. So I'm talking about things like a cherry pitter or an apple corer. That was another um, that mm-hmm. would have come in handy when we did our um, Dan- or Amish apple dumplings a while ago. Oh, yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you have to be a little bit careful with, with things like this. I uh, bought... I got very excited and got a um, aftermarket blade for my KitchenAid. And it is, you know, the the one that you use kind of most often. I think it's called the paddle attachment. It looks, um, it's kind of, you know, that spade shape. Yeah, yeah. This one had what I thought was going to be this game changer for me, had like a uh, silicone around the edges. So the idea was it was scraping the bowl for you okay. as it was so you wouldn't have to turn the machine off, scrape down the sides, turn it back on. Oh. And that just, it, I really, really, really wanted that thing to work. And it it just never did it like as well as I would have scraped down the sides. So Right, right. Oh, interesting. But then another one that I've heard of recently um, along the same lines is a silicone ladle. And I thought this was really interesting because, you know, you're, it's round and your pot's usually round, whatever you're trying to get out of the bottom. And the silicone uh-huh. will, will kind of bend and squeeze so you can really oh. get in there. And I thought that is an interesting, uh, obviously, not necessarily a one-off gadget. You can use a ladle for so many types of things. But um, if anyone has any experience with that, a silicone that would allow you to kind of reach into corners and... and and get around I would love to hear about that so let me know yeah I've never heard or seen that one so that I'd be interested in that one Um, when you're talking about one-off gadgets what comes to mind for me I I might have mentioned this before is um, the pineapple uh, core or whatever you call it so it's you know it's metal so it's got a metal stem and at the end it's got a circular blade with like serrated edges and you twist it into the pineapple and then you get out the heart of the pineapple or whatever you call that and then you just pull it up Mm -hmm. and you've got your perfect rings so I love this thing listener Craig gave me one and I use it all the time funnily enough when he gave it to me 
I I didn't I must have disassembled it when he first gave it to me so it normally has a big black plastic handle on top so as you're yep. screwing down into the pineapple you're holding onto a a nice black plastic handle but I somehow separated that black plastic handle from the metal thing so the first time my husband used it he cut his hand really badly oh no <laughs> he put a hole through his hand he basically oh, no. put a hole through his hand and so oh no the next time Craig came over I was like you know I really like this but how do you cut the pineapple without cutting yourself yeah. and he was like well where's the handle and I go what what are you talking about what handle and I just convinced myself that mine was defective and it came without a handle well um the other day I was cleaning my pantry <laughs> I came, came across this <laughs> black plastic handle. I looked at it and I thought, I wonder what this is. And then I thought, oh my gosh. And I, sure enough, I took it over to my um, pineapple core and it just snapped right into the handle. So I showed that to my husband and I was like, look how much easier this is going to be. <laughs> you don't need to hurt yourself anymore just for some juicy pineapple. Oh, well, and funny. it's been fun to serve that pineapple at parties. The, the funniest thing to me, I we like to grill it. I love grilled pineapple. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also nice to serve as an appetizer. And the thing that's so funny to me is that it does the ring so perfectly that I've had people take a bite and say, oh, I've never had canned pineapple this good. And I'm like, yes. that's because it's not canned. You know, right. but it's so perfect. It looks like it just, you know, you open a can of pineapple and dumped it out. That kind of precision. Yeah. Which they must get with a machine in the factories. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, well, since it is holiday time and um, we're talking about gadgets, um, I just wanted to put in another plea to Santa for that magic pasta box. Um, oh, that's right. You asked for that last year. I didn't get it last year, Andrea. Mm. So, gosh, I hope listeners... Santa can find you. You've moved, you know. <laughs> and and can I plug it into my step up, step down voltage adapter? Oh, I mean, that's really. <laughs> That's really the question that must be answered. So well, that's funny I because know. I asked for the whipped cream dispenser, which my mother was kind enough to send to me. She sent me the one that she had picked up in Germany sometime in the 1960s. And oh here's the gosh. funny thing. I have been to my Bed Bath & Beyond no less than I would say six times over the last year to buy the cartridges for it and they have been sold out every single time and i i want to buy it there so i can check and make sure it's the right cartridges for the model that i have that's why i haven't just bought it online um so it's really funny we both have our our wish list you yours wasn't fulfilled mine was fulfilled but i still haven't been able to use it so we got to work on that so this year santa needs to bring you the cartridge yeah apparently so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) Today is December 4th, and are you aware, Stefan, that it is National Cookie Day? I, uh, yet another holiday not celebrated here in the UK, right? Uh, look at <laughs> what's You'll going have on. to change that. I will. You'll have to change that. So I love baking holiday cookies, and if you were a listener last year, you know that I have a friend who is an expert at the rolled sugar cookies and gingerbread cookies, and she is kind enough to spend a weekend with me and give me all of her decorating tips and her steady hand, which is essential. So we're going to be doing our annual holiday cookie weekend. So getting ready for that, I thought I would mention a couple of things that I always think about with holiday cookies and that I do to prepare. One of the first things is the royal icing. So that is essential for me when it comes to decorating my sugar cookies or my gingerbread cookies. And last year I ran into a panic because I couldn't get it. 
And I had my husband running all over town trying to find it, and he couldn't find it. So I did order early this year. I have a big bag. So I'm all set on my royal icing, which is great. And so I pick, by, um, yeah. by royal icing, do you mean mm-hmm. the kind that's made with the meringue powder? Is that what you were yes. looking for? Okay, got it. Yes. And yes, I yes. didn't know that that was meringue powder. I okay. think after we um, – dropped that episode one of our listeners said are you talking about meringue powder you know you can just use that or something like that I was like oh I had no idea got it okay Mm -hmm. Um, I picked up some new cookie cutters I always like to get some cookie cutters on sale after Christmas so um, I tend to shy away from the more elaborate cutters because I'm not that good at frosting so I like the nice boxy shapes like um presents or you know the round circle for this the um you know like a christmas ornament sort of look star um, tree yes, yes. star <laughs> i too. do gingerbread yeah. right gingerbread man gingerbread woman star tree present um i do have a snow globe and that one's been kind of fun and i've bought some edible glitter for that one to decorate so i'll be doing all 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 sorts of things with that and the other thing I decided to do this year, last year I just, the last couple of years, I've just done the rolled cookies. And this year I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to do other types of cookies too because some people don't like the taste of that royal icing. And so it really um, isn't great if they're like, eh, those, these are pretty, but I don't like the way they taste. And part of the reason I always stuck with the rolled cookies is because I know they last. Yeah. But Food 52 put out an article this year on November 1st, and they were talking about cookies that keep well and, in fact, can actually improve with age. So here was um, a couple that really jumped out at me. And the first thing they mentioned is that a lot of traditional Scandinavian and German recipes are made for keeping and actually get better over time. Okay. Um, so here's a couple. Um, biscotti can last for two weeks. And if you're looking for a great biscotti recipe, go back and listen to episode 23. That was our breakfast. Breakfast Bakes Month, and we talked about, um, I think it was Dory Greenspan's biscotti recipe that was really good. Uh, Gingerbread people can keep for several months, according to this article. I have have no idea if that's true because they've never lasted that long, but, you know, that's what they say. Wow. Meringues meringues also, they said months, at least two months. Um, Mexican wedding cakes, Mm -hmm. one month, and I love those. I think they're so much fun to make and eat. Peanut butter cookies can last two weeks. Shortbread can last a month. And sugar cookies can last a month, which I already knew about the sugar cookies. Now, here's another cookie that they said can last two weeks. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It looks like Pfeffernus. Oh, um, yes. It's P-F-E-F-F-E-R-N-U-S-S-E. So I think that must be one of the either, you know, German or Scandinavian ones. So... I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, people don't be, you know, afraid of uh, running out of time or thinking you don't have time. Um, you've got all month. You can bake now and still be delivering Christmas cookies um, at the end of the month. People who co-host a podcast with someone who lives in London and might want to send a care package of cookies to them, <laughs> it's going to be fine. So <laughs> that's right. You've got you've got time for the delay for things to get there. Well. Um, one of the funny things that we um, you wrote to me as we were preparing for this show, you said, um, this may be my uh, one of my very favorite quotes of yours ever. Uh, Andrea said, <laughs> Stefan, what's the Christmas cookie scene in London like? And <laughs> That's right. I just love it. 
Right? There's always like, oh, you know, what's the nightlife scene or what's the fashion scene? But, you know, the real heavy hitting news is what is that Christmas cookie scene like? So um, I'm glad you asked because it doesn't seem to be quite as intense as it is in the States. Um, Okay. What is the really big deal here are mince pies. And mince meat is a very big thing. And the mince pies are a tiny little pie. You can see them anywhere from kind of like a mini muffin size to maybe like a regular muffin size. It's a pastry crust filled with with mincemeat. And this year I made Delia Smith's famous homemade mincemeat. And you may remember Delia Smith back in episode 25, 25. Andrea, you gave me that UK quiz when I was going to move here. That's right. And Delia Smith was like the final question. And in fact, here she's really just known as Delia. So the question was, what is her last name? And I didn't know because everyone just calls her Delia. But it's Delia Smith. And so I made her homemade mints and I used suet. And which is just like readily available in the grocery store. Which is what? What is it? Suet is fat mixed with flour. And you can do a veggie version. So it's more like a, uh, would be like a shortening. And then there's a beef suet as well. And it's just shelf stable. It's just in the baking aisle. It comes pre-shredded. So I mixed up all of my fruits. It had a lot of dried fruit. Uh, It had uh, apples. It had... Currants, raisins or sultanas, uh, golden raisins, a lot of candied ginger, candied citrus, lemon and orange juice, fresh cranberries. It smelled like heaven in my kitchen. You leave it overnight and it gets all nice and juicy and then you bake it for three hours at a really low, low temperature. So just like spread out on a pan or? Yes, like a jelly roll pan. Okay. Yes. Okay. So big, big mounds of mints. And then when it comes out of the oven, then you add in the brandy, in this case, brandy. So (laughs) it is sitting. I bought some little canning jars, and it's sitting in my fridge waiting for my mince pies. So that's going to be my kind of holiday cookie. So is it meant to be a dessert or a like an appetizer. I mean, I'm confused because it's fruit, but it has a meat component or a meat flavoring. But it doesn't taste meaty. It just tastes okay. kind of hearty, I would say. Okay. Um, okay. And, so and it's more like a fruit cake. It's not oh, like yes, a, yes. a and, pasty. You know, we, we've been talking about you were doing your, your fruit cake and then uh, you yeah. were doing rum toff. And I know we had some other listeners who were doing uh, the rum toff too, which is a preserved um, boozy fruit. And this is yeah. basically that as okay. well. Yes. So... Um, and then it's also one of those things that kind of the longer it sits, it just kind of soaks up. And originally, I mean, I believe what that fat was doing was helping preserve it. So it was it was oh, a longevity okay. thing as well okay. as just, you know, beefing up, no pun intended, uh, a, uh-huh. a dessert. So very often what you'll see here is people will say, like, come around for some mince pies and mulled wine. Like, that's just kind of the holiday invite okay. that you get. And I, I love mince meat so much when I was packaging this up putting it in my containers for the fridge. They're just, they're just happened to be like a bowl's worth, you know, that just didn't fit. And I just had to eat it warm right there with some vanilla ice cream. And I was so pleased. <laughs> 
Well, I'm so impressed you made your own mints. I mean, this just feels very uh, Charles Dickens to me. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, I think there's a line in The Christmas Carol about, about mince pies. Tiny Tim is having the mince, like, who will go get the mince pie? And right. so this okay. really, I wanted to set this goal for myself just to be, you know, in London and be be making mince pies at Christmas time. So yeah, okay. well you're just you're just totally getting into the London cookie scene. Right? So yes. I am. So that is my London very cookie scene. <laughs> yes. Oh. The last comment I wanted to make on um, Christmas cookies. I don't normally like the food challenge type shows on you know the Food Network yeah. or the Cooking mm-hmm. Channel. I don't like it when uh, food is wasted or you know people are. Um, getting angry over food it right. just doesn't it just doesn't put me in the mood for good food but I do enjoy every year the Christmas cookie challenge it's on the Food Network and um, the one thing that I love about it is it does make me feel a little bit better about the flops I've had in the kitchen and so there's always normal people doing their normal flops you know they'll get to the end of their dough and they'll go oh my gosh I forgot to put the eggs in or you know something yeah, like yeah. that mm-hmm. and I do that sort of thing all the time. But what I really love is they almost always have someone who worked for Martha Stewart as a cookie designer or, you know, some sort of uh, intensive cookie person. And that person always starts off the show just totally calm, cool, like super confident. You know, I know I can make the most beautiful cookie in the world. But, of course, there is a time component to this challenge. And those are the first people to crack under pressure. And that's (laughs) – And that's when you realize, you know, if you look in a Martha Stewart Living magazine and you see a beautiful cookie on it, be prepared for it to take two to three hours to get something that looks that way. Um, And you're not going to just be cranking out the most beautiful cookie in the world in, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. So I enjoy it for that perspective. It always makes me feel a little bit better about my own cookie skills when I see the experts realizing, wow, to make a batch of these and to get them done in a short amount of time is really, really difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's an artwork at that point, right? I mean, all that kind of like flooding and all these different frosting techniques they oh have. Oh my and- gosh, yeah. No, it was so cute. The one girl who got eliminated in the first round, she frosted the wrong side of her cookies, which is something I could completely see myself doing. You know, so you think about how you, you put your cookie, like your sugar cookie or your gingerbread cookie on the cookie sheet. Um, you typically frost the top part, right? The part that's facing up. She accidentally somehow flipped hers <laughs> frosted the bottom of all of her cookies well it's really funny that you say that because (laughs) (laughs) Uh Um, my okay so just today in the mail in the royal mail I received this little entertainment booklet from my favorite grocery store Waitrose and they did something I had never seen and it was one of those things I thought why haven't I haven't I thought about this so they have a, a little thing about making gingerbread cookies and they have how they're frosted and you can picture the head and the little arms but they say just flip it upside down and you have reindeer Yes, and we do that in our cookie weekend. We it's we adorable. learned that one about two years ago, and that is a fun little trick and very easy. But you're still frosting on the the top side of the cookie with that. You're just changing the orientation from top okay. to bottom. Okay, so she yeah. had it actually just flipped. She literally flipped them over. So okay. then they were they weren't laying flat because of course the top yeah. is a little bit puffier. Okay. okay, I get it. And 
she had some naked parts of the cookie that were supposed to show through. And, you know, the bottom of the cookie is not as pretty as the top. It's not like yes. puffy and browned. Yes. It was more, it almost has like those little holes in it. It looks kind of mm-hmm. spongy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, she realized it after she did about a dozen. And so then she tried to scrape the frosting off. And, you know, it just was, oh, <laughs> it no. just Poor reminded girl. me of a... A moment in my kitchen. I felt very <laughs> sympathetic toward her. So, Aww. Well, welcome um, her over to preheated. So, Exactly. And speaking of that, if you're looking for some cookie challenges, go over to our Facebook group. And some of our listeners have been posting their favorite holiday cookies. So Jocelyn was talking about a peanut butter shortbread with chocolate ganache frosting. Michelle mentioned a double chocolate peppermint crunch. And Dana was talking about Buckeyes. Have you ever heard of Buckeye cookies? I have. I love Buckeyes. I have to put a limit on how often I will make a Buckeye cookie <laughs> because it is chocolate and peanut butter. It's like a little peanut butter bomb covered in chocolate. It is just one of my very, very favorite things. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I am going to try making Buckeyes this year, and I'm going to try a fun modification. Um, a friend just got back from Hawaii, and she showed me one thing that she brought back, and it's called coconut peanut butter and it only has two ingredients peanuts and coconuts and it I it it tastes amazing and so I think I'm going to use that for my peanut butter in the chocolate dip peanut butter ball and I'm thinking it's going to be pretty amazing oh that sounds so good I don't I have a bad feeling those will not keep if you want to ship them to me (laughs) you're right there might be some issues there I'm out of luck oh dear well Well, the timer's buzz, and we've got to get to the dishes. Next week, we're reviewing our Blizzard Blondies and taking the difficulty level up a notch with some homemade English toffee, delicious to eat or gift to a friend. We'll also be chatting about some of the smells that make us think of the holidays. Oranges, cloves, and cinnamon are just a few that come to mind. Thanks, as always, to Anne-Marie Russell for providing our theme music. You can find Anne-Marie on Amazon and iTunes, and her website is annemarierussell.com. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and download us on Google Play and Apple Podcast, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a five-star review, both of which will help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.